Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. All right, so we're in a series that we're going to finish today called Wild and Free. We've been talking about sin, shame, and fear, and how those things keep you from being not only fully human, I said that right, sin, shame, and fear keep you from being fully human, but also they keep you from being who you were created to be in the first place. So over the last several weeks, we've talked about this concept. We've talked about freedom. We've looked at Genesis. We've looked at passages from Ephesians and Galatians. um, And uh, we looked at how we were created. We are created for power and authority. We're created for freedom. Um, And we are, gosh, I got distracted by my beautiful wife right there. Hey, babe. You should not come in late like that. (laughs) Gosh, I was in the flow, man. I had something going. But then you walked in the room. I love you. Okay, where were we? (laughs) Oh, I'm blushing right now. I'm going to stop. Okay, so here we are. Created for freedom. Let me just uh, remind us of what we talked about last week. We talked about being adopted as sons and daughters of the Father. Um, But I want to just go over some of the things that you are. Just a reminder of who you are in Jesus Christ. You were built for freedom. Just This is all according to Ephesians. You were blessed with every spiritual blessing. You were chosen before the creation of the world. You are holy. You are blameless without defect. You are adopted as sons and daughters of the Father in heaven. You have been redeemed. You have been, past tense, forgiven. You are included. You are sealed, excuse me, with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're a recipient of God's lavish grace, his overabundant grace. You are recipients of God's glorious inheritance. You have been made alive in Jesus Christ. You have been saved. You are God's workmanship, his poem, his living, breathing work of art. You are fellow citizens of the new humanity. You are members of God's household and you are building blocks for God's holy temple. Is that good news? That's some good news. This is who you already are. You can't do anything to earn, deserve, or create that identity. That is what is true about you in Christ. The moment you pray the prayer and say Jesus is Lord and Savior, this becomes true about you, even if you don't feel like it. Paul will spend all sorts of time in all of his letters telling you, about what God has done for you, who he is, and who you already are. And then he'll say, in a transition point, after all this stuff, now go and live like that. Be who you already are. Are you with me? So the question I have today is how, because we're going to change series now in view of all that we've learned, how do we remain rooted and established in our true identity? How do, we, how do we live out of what is ultimately true about us? How do we stay here 
when we go to work tomorrow, right? And when, when we have that conflict that reminds us of all the other sin, shame, and guilt that we have in our lives. When, when we do something wrong and all of a sudden we just re- we're reminded of that false self, how do we remain and, and center our lives around what is ultimately true, right? You with me? So that's the question I want to I wanna poke around this morning and try to answer. Just a quick um, just disclaimer. Part of this sermon is PG-13. I'm going to address what the text says. So if you have little ones, there will be a point where I, I just encourage you, if you want to take them out of the room so you don't have to explain stuff, do that, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. We're just going to talk about it. You okay with that? Got some moaning and groaning going on. Pastor's going to talk about some serious stuff today. I think I'll get another coffee and find my way at breakfast or whatever it is. Ha. All right, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're picking up with our identity, who we are in Jesus. Um, and I just wanted to kind of play off of this talk real, or this conversation that Paul has with the church in Ephesus. Um, we've been kind of picking apart pieces of, of, of the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 17. We're going to read this together, and then I'm going to do an old-fashioned Bible study. I'm going to go through verses and tell you what it means, and then we're going to land, and we're going we're to respond together with what the implications are. Are you with me? All right. Verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. In other words, I really encourage you, I mean it. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, in meaningless, meaninglessness. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So if you're new to the church, there's all sorts of words that probably need to be defined, right? So there's a lot of Christianese going on here, and I want to define that for you and make this uh, sensible for all of us. So we're just going to take some time, and just a quick reminder, Ephesians written in two parts, part one, the first three chapters, part two, the, the second three chapters. And the first part is the indicative, here's what God has done, here's who you are because of Jesus, um, here's all the beautiful things that God's been doing. And in chapter four, there's a transition point where Paul says, in view of all of this, live your life worthy of the calling you've received. So now in view of what God has done, respond with your life. And then he begins to give instructions for the Christian community on how to live in view of who they already are. We've used this illustration before. I use it all the time. But in 2000, June 9th, 2007, I got married. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, nearly nine years ago. And my, uh, on that day I was pronounced husband. I received this brand new identity. Did I, did I have any idea 
Did I have any idea or clue on, did I know how to be a husband at that point? What do you think, Alex, my wife? Absolutely not, she says. No, she's like, maybe. No, I didn't. I didn't know. I was living a single life up until that point. And then I'm, I'm now a husband and I can't, I don't learn, I don't act as a husband. I don't try to figure out how to be a husband. I am a husband and now I have to learn how to be who I already am. So there's nothing I can do to earn the right to be called a husband because I just received it. Does that make sense? So in the Christian faith, this is what, what Paul is essentially saying. So that's where we stay. That's where we find ourselves, that we're responding from who we are. Now, he says, um, don't live as the Gentiles do. And the word Gentile refers to non-Jewish people, um, which is important. But when Paul uses this particular phrase, Gentile, in, in the letter Ephesians, he's writing to a group of people that would have been non-Jewish people and, and Jewish people gathering in the church. So Gentile is referring to groups of people that are separated from God. All right, it's those that aren't living in faith in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? So don't live as those who are separated from God. He's, he's calling the church to live in a way um, that is in accordance with the faith and the things that they believe. And then it goes on to explain the old self and the new self, a former way of living. And I want to emphasize the way of living and a new way of living. And here's what he contrasts. So there's a breakdown We'll just go through. I got some slides. First of all, he says, there's a former way of life in your old self, and then there's a new way of life in your new self. So check this out. He goes on, he says, um, there's a life apart from God, and then there's a life in Christ. Go to the next one. There's a futility of thinking, which is meaninglessness, or there's truth, okay, in response to that. There's a darkened understanding and ignorance, or there's the things that you've been taught in Christ. Are you with me? Go to the next one. There's your old self and then there's a new self. Uh, The old self is living according to deceitful desires. The new self is living in truth. Okay, there's another way that he breaks this down. The old self is the, the one that is corrupted. The new self is a new creation in Jesus Christ. Next one. Um, The old self is one living in impurity and lust, and the new self is living in righteousness and holiness. And then there's one more, I think. The old self is separated from the life of God. The new self is created to be like God himself, to be like him. Is there anything else? So here's the breakdown. Just in this small passage, we see that Paul refers to this this one way of living and this new way of living. Okay, let's just break this down real quick. So that's where he begins. Now let's look at this passage. He says, first of all, that those that are separated from God. And if you're new, um, we, we need you to know, if you're new to the church or new to faith, that you are designed to live in perfect, loving relationship with God, with yourself, and with other people. That's how the story begins. It doesn't begin with you're a sinner who needs to be saved. The story of the Bible begins with God actually had a plan for you. He designed you for perfect, loving relationships. Does that sound like good news? And those that are separated from God live outside of that perfect loving relationship with God. And we see, we talked about this before. I don't want to go back to it, but in Genesis 3, we see how the story goes sideways and humans live outside of intimacy with God. And when that happens, when you're not connected to God, everything goes south in your life. You begin to distort your relationships. So power, which is used to empower other people and elevate other people, you do what? You manipulate other people, right? You, you dominate other people. You use power to use it over people rather than coming under people. Your relationships, rather than openness, intimacy, um, are filled with shame. And you begin to hide. You begin to blame. You begin to live in fear. Anyone else experience that today? So 
anyone else experienced that? Okay, let's try this one. Anyone else experienced that place? Okay, so in our, we still deal with that and we're processing through that, but that's the old self. So those that are separated from God, right? <laughs> Which apparently is like six of us, apparently. Uh, that <laughs> so you guys need to teach me. Uh, but the rest of us that are separated from, uh, have experienced a separation from God. Um, and that's just a reminder that, that that's a former way of living. But so what Paul does is he defines that life and then he, he shows you the progression of how you get to separation from God, okay? And so I want to just look at this and then we're going to come back to it because I think it has a lot of implications for how we remain obedient and remain rooted in our identity. He says uh, in the progression, it goes from those being separated. It says because of, their, because of the ignorance in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So um, hardening of the hearts, when you live apart from God, you look for other things to fill your life. You see, um, you look for other things to satisfy your life, but those things will never satisfy you. And when you, when you look for other things to satisfy what only God can satisfy, your heart becomes hardened to people and life around you. The word hardened is the word petrified. And it's also in Greek used to, uh, as a word to describe the callus that, that grows over a broken bone. The word in Greek is when, you're, when your bone breaks, a callus forms over it as it's healed. And the callus is actually harder than the bone. It's, it's also used to refer to a stone that's harder than marble. So when you begin to live in ignorance and your heart is hardened to the things of God and to what is real life because you're pursuing things outside of God, it moves to something else, which is even worse. It moves, by the way, have we experienced hardening of hearts? Yeah, I mean, think about any, anyone here uh, deal with that in your own life where you just recognize at one point that your heart became hardened to the people that you love the most. In my marriage, there have been seasons where because of the brokenness in my life, conflict that would be undealt with in our marriage, my heart would be hardened to my wife. And God would constantly remind me of this, that that is a result of unforgiveness. That's a result of pain. And I would constantly have to humble that myself and bring it back to God and, and ask for forgiveness from my wife and forgive where I haven't forgiven. Does that make sense? So anyway, so we, we've experienced the hardening of hearts, but that, that moves to something worse. It says, uh, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, having lost all sensitivity. So what happens next is, you go without feeling. Your heart gets hardened and you begin to be void of feeling. So having lost, you basically become, what happens is you lose the ability to feel things like you once did. Your heart is hardened and it moves on in life with hardness. Stones, calluses form around your heart and you, you, don't, you aren't able to feel things like you once did. So it's easier for you to say the things to the people you love the most that are harmful to them because your heart has been hardened and you no longer feel the pain that you once felt when you caused that pain. You know what I'm talking about? Or you have received all sorts of pain in your life and you haven't dealt with it properly and your heart becomes hard to the world and to God and to other things. You're, you're, you have this false sense of what God's gonna do in your life. And as a result of that, you no longer feel the things that you once did. And this is where sin takes you outside of God. You, you, you lose the ability to feel things. And let me just talk about this progression in a sense of alcoholism. Do, do alcoholics enjoy alcohol? It's like, do gluttons enjoy food? 
or for those that become addicted to substances, is the food that at one point they might have enjoyed or this, the drink that they once enjoyed, that becomes something that they used to experience something, to get a need met. Do you know what I'm talking about? So what begins as an innocent, maybe a, a, a point in their life that they're just trying to enjoy something, a gift that God gives, right? A good gift that God gives becomes abused over time and they, they lose the ability to feel or enjoy. So alcoholics don't enjoy alcohol. They use it to, to, to feel something that is filling them up or to, to not feel something, right? Like Russell Brand says, my problem isn't alcohol. My problem is reality. Alcohol helps me with reality or something like that. So it begins. And so what you see is what, what starts off as a good gift can become abuse and you lose the ability to enjoy and to feel things as they were designed to be felt and experienced. And then, and then the outcome is, it says that they're given, they've given themselves over to sensuality. And this is where there's an absence of restraint. This is the progression, ignorance to hardening of hearts, to a loss of sensitivity. You don't feel it. And then there's an absence of restraint. In other words, Paul's diagnosing this, that the desire for that thing in your life that once gave you joy, that now you no longer feel as joy, that thing becomes a craving and you, you have to have it. And, there, and that thing begins to govern your life. So you're constantly thinking of where to get whatever that thing is in your life that's filling that, that place, that void, that thing that satisfies you. You're constantly looking for that next place because sin is never static. Sin is a dynamic progression. It's always moving forward in your life. If, if the desire that fills you up, if the thing that fills you up in your life is money and it's the $10,000 mark, well, eventually you'll get the $10,000 and there'll be more. You want more of it. That's what he's talking about. You can't, you can't restrain yourself. There's, there's not an end to it. If it's, if it's just a two glasses of wine gets you to that place that feels good, eventually it will be four glasses of wine that will get you there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can we just take off the mask? for a second and be really honest because this is the human condition and this is what's going to keep you from moving forward in who you really are unless you learn to identify these things it doesn't have to be alcohol it doesn't have to be food some of us it is food that yogurt land experience right it starts as a little bit it turns into a lot and lots of toppings and you say well it's fruit so it's fine and then you just put that caramel and chocolate all on top, right? You know, I, okay, I'm guilty of that as well. For, you create these experiences. Let's just talk about that. It, I think consumerism is the issue that nobody wants to talk about. Because it is the thing. Amazon Prime is amazing. Prime now? Are you kidding me? Two hours I can get that thing at my house? Heck yeah. Amazon Fresh. I don't have to go to the store. I can click the button and have it dropped off. But, but what's underneath that? Well, underneath that, consumerism has, it's given us this feeling of satisfaction. It's meeting your needs. There is a euphoric experience when you click confirmation or confirm and you know that product is going to arrive at your home. Or when you go to the mall for the, the experience, that, that adrenaline rush when you find the perfect pair of jeans or whatever, that, that, that purse or, or the, the constant pursuing of something bigger. So you got the house, finally, your dreams come true, but your neighbor, your friend, your best friend, they're expanding their house. You just got the car, but the new model came out and consumerism is a form of spirituality in our life. It is the idol of the American church. 
We build churches around your needs. Do you realize how crazy that is? You can have it your way. Come and entertain yourself. We can talk about entertainment. What are, like, think about this. It's not just a show on television. Now you binge watch Netflix. Hand, being handed over to sensuality. There's no restraint. For those of you that have to wake up at 6 a.m., but you, be, you binge watch House of Cards all through the night only to get two hours of sleep, you know what I'm talking about. What is that? That's the human condition. And we can innocently banter over these things, but we all deal with them. What is the thing in your life that brings you life outside of God? How have you allowed that to develop a dynamic progression to fill you, fill your emotions, to fill your mind, to fill your body, to fill your heart? And do you see, this is the PG-13 part. What starts small moves to take over your life without restraint. And this is where pornography is an epidemic in the world today. And I just want to talk about this really um, intentionally this morning because I sense that there, this is a thing that we want to see freedom from today. Boys are introduced, to, uh, the average age that someone is introduced to pornography is the age 11. That's the average age. And this is what pornography basically does, is it tells a, a child, an 11-year-old boy or girl, that beauty is found on websites, social media, and magazine covers where there's nudity, airbrush, and surgical instruments used to create it. It's an over-sexualized, stimulated experience. Pornography has massive effects on your mind, on your body, on your emotions, and on your relationships. There are so many studies. Time Magazine just came out with an article talking about the effects of pornography in relationships. There are studies that are done in Japan where Japan, because of the effects of pornography, young men are no longer having intercourse with women because it, it doesn't work for them, right? Because what starts off as a couple of uh, uh, images a collection of images, turns into movies, right? Do you see the progression sensuality? And then it turns into more movies. And you can't just settle with a few of the same. You look for more. You click every page on the website. That's where this thing goes. And then it gets to, you go further and further further until to where the internet's primary use is for porn industry. And, and the new technology that's coming out, do you know what virtual reality is like the number one invested in technology resource today? Facebook is investing the next 10 years in virtual reality and uh, in artificial intelligence. Same with Apple, they think. Samsung, everyone's investing in virtual reality because that's the future. Well, the porn companies are investing in virtual reality as well because that's the next level of the, the, of the progression of sin. Do you see the influence that you have? And it starts as something innocent and good. Sex is a gift from God. And we're introduced to it in the wrong way. We don't realize what it's for, the power that it has over us. And eventually your mind becomes consumed. Eventually you can't stop doing it. Eventually you get into a marriage for men. And, and it says that every divorce, 54% of divorces in the US are linked, it says, to uh, those that are over-obsessed with uh, online pornography. I mean, the, the power of porn is so ridiculous in our culture and it's just moving forward. 54% of all men in our church in the United States struggle with pornography every month. 95% of men look at pornography. It is a serious issue. And it hollows you out to where it's saying 50% of those engaged with sec, inter, sexual internet interactions like pornography and things like lose interest in sexual intercourse. 
the flesh and blood woman in their life that God has given them as, as a wife is no longer fulfilling because of the effects of pornography. So sexuality is the biggest issue I think that we need to approach. That a sin hollows you out and you cease to enjoy the life that God's given you. And what starts off as something innocent becomes something that you become enslaved to. And that's the problem is porn is now equally as addictive as any other substance there is. There, there are studies that show that your brain responds to the, rea- the chemical reaction and your brain responds to those images in a very unique way like other very and highly addictive substance, substances. Are you with me? And so it's a power, power struggle and pornography is something that Paul will say is sensuality and indulging in these things. And so you begin to explore and express the natural God gifts in your, God, the natural gifts that God gives you and they become the things that take hold of you. They take hold of your heart. They take hold of your mind. And it says, in the, in, if you continue in chapter four, you indulge in every kind of impurity, every kind of impurity and you become full of greed. And the word greed is not just about money. It's about always eating and never being full. It's about always drinking and never being satisfied. It's about always looking and never feeling relief. It's Turkish delight for the lion and the witch and the wardrobe fans. You know what I'm talking about? Edmund goes to the white witch and the white witch gives him Turkish delight, a little candy or a little cookie. And every, the more he eats, the more he wants more Turkish delight, the more he loses pleasure and enjoyment for other good and healthy things. And the more he becomes addicted to, his, to the very thing that he's eating. And that's true. That's what Paul is saying. This is our problem. This is where we wrestle. This is, this is the old way of living. We lost appetite for the things that God created us to breathe in the oxygen of the kingdom. And we lose appetite because we settle for all the other things. And then verse 20 transitions and he says, that however is not the way of life you learned. So all of that stuff, what we're talking about that we can all associate to and resonate with, that's our former way of living. That is not the way we're designed to live anymore. That's good news. There's a better way to live. You don't have to be held captive by the things in your life that once gave you enjoyment, but now became the thing that hit the place that satisfies your soul. God can satisfy your soul. A quick little point I want to make about this. Paul refers to it as a way of life. Can I just say that Christianity is a way of life, not a set of beliefs that you can believe about God. It is part of that. Doctrine is so important. What we think about God is so important. But the problem with the church is that's where we end. Christianity is a confession, a transformation of life. It is the thing. It's the greatest movement in human history. It it is a, a way of living. It gives us hope for transformation. We should be of all people full of joy and hope and love and kindness. Christianity from its origin took care of each other. They change the way they live. It's not a set of beliefs about God. It's a lifestyle that orients around God. And we can't just let it be a a bunch of beliefs that we can agree to disagree upon. We have to allow this to transform the way we live. We created orphanages. We created hospitals. We created schools. We took care of the worst kinds of people in the world. That's what Christianity was formed because that's that's a lifestyle, right? Are you with me? Okay, that's just a side note. Okay, so... We have to be the better news in the world because Christianity is good news. Verse 21, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God 
in true righteousness and holiness. So here's the secret, all right? This is what you've been looking for. How do you remain in your true identity? Paul gives you a couple of things that you need to know first. First, Jesus gives you a new identity. When you say yes to Jesus, he gives you a brand new identity. We've talked about this over the last several weeks. I read about it just a few minutes ago. Who you are in Christ, you've been changed with a new identity. Jesus gives you a new community, a new family to reorient your life with. If you want to see transformation, if you want to be rooted in who you really are, you need to be around the people, the church, that are going to speak the life that God is calling you into, right? Remember we talked about this? Prophetically speaking what is ultimately true about you. That's why you feel so crappy, excuse me, when you hang out with those, ones fr- those one friends that make you feel competitive, those types of friends that make you doubt yourself, those types of friends that make you examine your life and feel regret and disappointment. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you have those friends? The church is designed, designed to be the place that speaks life, that doesn't gossip. We call people into who they already are in Christ. We say, no, you're gonna preach even though you've never done it before. We're gonna draw you into your new identity. You, yes, you, you can move mountains. You can, you can walk on water. That's what we do for one another. That's prophecy, by the way, if you didn't know. Anyways, I'm just going off on, on a couple of sides. So he says, so we get new identity, we get a new family, and then we, we, we get new narratives spoken over our life. And then, and then he, says, um, he says, take off your old self and put on a new self. So what is that about? Disciplines. You want to stay rooted in who you are? It's not going to happen naturally. It's going to happen supernaturally because you're given the Holy Spirit, but also because you put the work in. Now this isn't, earn favor with God. This is how do you remain in who you are, right? Um, you, can't, you can't deserve it, earn it, or, but you have to fight for it. So anyone here struggle with insecurity and self-doubt? Okay, good. So what do you do as a constant reminder, as a constant way of putting off the old and putting on the new? So my life struggle with this early on, I mean, I'll just be honest, brutally honest. There were many years I still struggle with insecurity, but specifically about the way I looked. I struggled with that since I was a kid. And even when I was married, I would say such harmful things to myself out loud. And my wife would make me stand in front of the mirror and say, say five things nice about yourself. It was the hardest thing. It still is. Why? Because I've been grained in an old way of thinking. So to do that feels so unnatural and awkward. But that's putting on the new self. Replace your old thoughts with your new ones. You have to intentionally call out the lies in your head. Call out the lies. So there's a set of disciplines. Just by the way, quick, I'm running over time. Are we okay? Can we be here a little longer? Okay, good. No? Who said no? All right, go ahead. Why don't you actually, why don't you stand so everyone can see? Just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jeremiah, stay seated. Now I called you out. So it says, uh, being corrupted by deceitful desires. The word desire is the word lust, Okay. In Greek, there's two Greek words that make the word lust, epi and thumos, which means in, epi, the mind, thumos, in the mind. Lust is not just about lusting for, for people. It's about the space that, uh, that, the head space that you allow those people, those things that you want to take up. Think about lust in that way. You want the new jacket or the purse, or the new jeans or the new car, and you go to that meeting, you're, you're in a meeting at Starbucks, and all of a sudden your brain is a million miles away from the person in front of you. You're, you're, you're cultivating thoughts about what you must have. You're, you become a prisoner to it. You become captive. Lust is slavery. Lust is, is eating, 
uh, not just something in the fridge, it's eating the entire box or the entire carton of, of ice cream. It's going to one website and watching all of the clips. It's buying one in every color. It starts off as freedom, but it quickly becomes slavery. And often freedom is seen as the ability to do whatever you want, but freedom isn't being able to have what we crave. Freedom isn't being able to, to have what we crave. Freedom is going without whatever we crave and being fine with it. Amen? So take off the old self and put on the new self. And this is your new identity. This is authentic life. All that's true about you. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you and act in a way that's true of who you are. So guess what we're going to do the next several weeks? We're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. Next week, Bill's going to start a new series on spiritual disciplines to help us move from this is who you are to how do we live this stuff out? How do we put into practice what we believe? And it's the story of what transformation really looks like. And maybe this is helpful for you, but here's a five-chapter story on, the, on transformation, okay? Chapter one, you walk down a street, you fall into a pit, you don't know how you got there, you are in there for a while, and you finally get out. Chapter two, you walk down a street, you fall into a pit. This time, you know how you got there. You aren't there as long, and you get out. Chapter three, you walk down a street, you fall into a pit, you get out immediately. Chapter four, you walk down a street, you see a pit, you walk around it. Chapter five, you walk down a different street. You were taught... You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I just want to close with one illustration and then we'll land together on how we might respond. But um, Paul's favorite way of referring to who you are, 65 times in, um, I'm sorry, 34 times in the book of Ephesians and 165 times in all of his letters, the way he refers to Christians, those that have said yes to Jesus, is in Christ. That's his favorite way of referring to who you are, in Christ. So I have a quick illustration. Hopefully it makes sense. We'll see. It's my first time. So this is a stormtrooper. Thank you. Thank you. Rogue One, December 2017. This is a stormtrooper. Anyone know when Star Wars land is going to be built, by the way? Anyone? When it's going to be finished? It's in the process. Okay, nobody knows. Okay. If anyone has access to that and I can go behind, I will give you plenty of indulgences. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's a lie. So this is a stormtrooper, and this cup is Christ. Paul says that we are in Christ. So for me, to look at the stormtrooper, I have to look through the cup. So what's true of the cup is true of the stormtrooper, and what's true of the stormtrooper is true of the cup. If I raise up the cup, I raise up the stormtrooper. If I, raise down, if I put this, the cup down, I put the stormtrooper down. Brothers and sisters, all that is true about Christ is true about you. That's a, another way of looking at who you are. So the question I have for us, and the way I want to respond this morning, is simply this. Would you be willing to identify all the ways that you find life outside of God? Can we do that? Can we just simply identify? I, I, in order for us to go to whatever's next as a journey, as a church, we need to identify all the areas in our life that, that we are finding life outside of God. All the ways we find life outside of God. 
For me, what, is it, what do I mean? Well, here's, here's an example as a pastor. When I operate out of my old self, my, my, my broken self, um, I, if I'm not careful, I will find my identity, my worth, my value. I will find life in what I do in my work. Right? So I, I get validation, meaning, and purpose through work. Uh, I'll just keep going. If I'm not careful, um, because I, I get the privilege of preaching and standing in front of a group of people, I can find my validation and my worth, my identity, and my purpose, the way of life. I can find my, my meaning through what people think of me, the approval of others. I'll live and die on the approval of other people. Uh, I, I've dealt with depression most of my life. I'm just going to be brutally honest. These are ways that I find life outside of God. Um, I've dealt with depression for a long time, self-doubt, self-hatred. And um, those are some serious emotions. Would you agree? And so uh, anyone, there's a, there's a personality types. I'm, in a, I'm a particular personality that's an enthusiast, right? The, the, uh, the life of the party, the optimist, just let's have fun. That's kind of my personality. Um, it's the need to avoid pain, right? So because I feel deeply, my way of, of dealing with those things in my life is to numb it out through all sorts of things. Food, alcohol, Netflix. Those are the primary ways or social media and internet. So because of the, the emotions that I feel that are, are to be healed and restored through God, I find alternative ways to deal with them. Anyone else struggle with that? So for me, what I've had to do to bring transformation and healing to those areas in my life and allow myself to feel the deep feelings of pain that I have, I actually have to fast those things in my life that I run to. They're not bad in themselves. Alcohol moderation is okay. Food is okay. Chipotle is okay. Um, <laughs> sometimes, apparently. <laughs> uh, or, 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 or Netflix, there's nothing wrong with it. I've talked about it a bunch. But if it's used as a way of life to deal with life, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you, you, you can find your, your life being validated in your relationships. Some of you find your life being validated in sexual relationships. Some of you are addicted to pornography, addicted to substances, alcohol, weed, drugs, prescription drugs. What are the ways in your life that you're finding life outside of God? And this morning, I just want to gently ask you to respond. Write it down or confess it. I'd love for you to confess it this morning, to come forward in prayer. We're gonna worship. Confess it to God. Confess it to your, your spouse. Brothers and sisters, if someone's struggling with pornography and you haven't shared this with your spouse, this would be a great opportunity to allow for the pain to enter in and restoration to begin. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.